Welcome to Bachelor in Retrospect. I'm Carrie Rosen. I'm a comedy writer. And I'm Dr. Anne-Marie Navarre-Gill, a media studies professor. We're longtime friends and Bachelor fans. And in this podcast, we're going way back in Bachelor history, recapping old seasons and taking Bachelor deep dives to look at how the Bachelor franchise has evolved and how we can see the world evolve through the show. Join us on our journey through rose ceremonies, weird failed spinoffs, and most dramatic endings ever as we look at The Bachelor in retrospect. Hi, welcome back to Bachelor in Retrospect. This is part two of season two of Bachelor Pad, and I feel upset. I mean, you could feel upset or you could celebrate that we will never have to talk about Jake Pavelka again after this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we'll get to it. We still have a little more Jake Favelka to talk about, but then he's he, gone. He's, he's done. He's gone, and he ne- they don't bring him back anymore. They understand that this is a toxic man. He will no longer darken our TV screens, though he is still single. <laughs> <laughs> never say never. Oh, my God, what if he's the Golden Bachelor? <laughs> <laughs> they would never do that. No, no, but what? Okay, what if he saved some birds, Sully Sullenberger style? Then he'd have to be the Golden Bachelor. Um, again, I don't think they would ever cast him as the Golden Bachelor. The only person <laughs> who th- who takes up for him is Chris Harrison. He's gone. You either die a Jake or you live long enough to see yourself become a Sully Sullenberger. I. I that's the opposite of what that expression is supposed to do. <laughs> Jake is awful. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, so yes, the, we, these are episodes three and four that we watched of Bachelor Pad season two. An experiment in which they decided to throw a bunch of exes together in a house, including one that was actively abusive and go, this is good TV. I mean, you're making me feel a little ashamed that I think it's good TV, Carrie. I don't think you needed the Jake element of it to be good TV. That's my problem. (sighs) Here's my thing. I want to agree with you. I I do. I want to agree with you. But the episode after Jake leaves that we're going to be talking about today was boring as hell. Yeah, it was. (laughs) But (sighs) let's... We'll we'll get to it when we get to it. I have some theories about an alternate universe. Bachelor yeah. Pad season two. I'd love to hear that. In the meantime, though, we are in the universe where Jake Pavalco is on this show. And so we are. for today, I have prepared a lesson. <laughs> Yay. It's not, really, not really a lesson that I think Jake would appreciate about Jake's favorite topic, the tabloid. And how they're evil. Um, it's a little more nuanced than that. Okay. <laughs> what? Jake didn't understand the nuance of something? Um, so, tabloids, right? That is a designation that we have to mark inferior and perhaps not believable journalism that's about, like, popular or sensational topics. You know, freaks, true crime, and, of course, celebrity gossip, Right. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that tabloids was like a subset of journalism that was set apart from quality journalism about important topics goes back all the way to the 1800s, very much defined by the disapproval 
of the intellectual elite as like the things that tabloids would talk about were trivial, right? Hmm. Um, and so these the, the things that tabloids cover, right? They tend to be topics that are popular. They're not considered serious enough to be two news. And if we're being honest, a lot of them, in particular, the celebrity gossip side, right, are topics that are feminized interests, right? Yeah. Um, so a lot of it is women are not serious. Women are not worthy of like real um, news. So in academia, and I don't usually like to get too like academia-ish in this, but I think it's interesting that there are kind of two divergent interpretations of why tabloids are the way that they are. One Mm -hmm. of them comes from cultural studies and it is basically saying like tabloids are the place where the interests of the non-elites get coverage. They're the way that the non-elites infiltrate the apparatus of newsmaking, right? Um, The other is more from people who study like journalism and news. And it says more, this is bad quality work that is about stupid subjects. And the more the tabloids influence hard news, the worse the news becomes overall and the less engaged the populace becomes. Right. Um, so there's a really wide range of things that are considered tabloids, right? That things that range from sort of pure fiction and gossip to just sort of popular reporting to the paparazzi stalking people to working with people's PR reps to circulate their preferred narratives about their careers and identities, right? And Mm -hmm. in the internet era, this gets sort of like even more complicated. Um, You know, you have the rise of celebrity bloggers. There was sort of the era of Perez Hilton and him drawing cartoon dicks on pictures of celebrity and calling that celebrity journalism. And more complexly, you have like Gawker and the way that Gawker sort of combined... Um, combined being a gossip blog with like more kind of hard hitting truth to power types of narratives. And ultimately, uh, uh, you know, Gawker is the thing that I used to teach my students about freedom of the press because the story Mm -hmm. of how a billionaire decided to end Gawker and then end Gawker is a really like, I think it's something that tells us a lot about the media in our environment. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. But where I think all of this really ties back to reality television is that in the late 20th century and the kind of early 21st century, people were really talking about how tabloids were influencing the news, that because of the 24-hour cable news cycle, uh, journalism was becoming really tabloid tabloidized. Uh, they were kind of taking techniques of making things more sensational uh, and focusing more on topics that the tabloids would cover, focusing on news as a commodity for consumption and trying to like get viewers using these popular techniques, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and in the sort of first, in like the 2000s, um, really there's an, a big expansion and popularization of the celebrity journalism side of tabloids that goes hand in hand with the rise of reality television. So as much as reality TV has kind of remade television and become in the 2000s, the biggest force in like the Nielsen ratings, right? It also really changes the celebrity gossip industry by kind of expanding the 
palette of characters that they can draw from in their things and also redefining the way that we market celebrity. Um, so throughout the 2000s, um, gossip magazines like Us Weekly, People, Star, In Touch, Life and Style, OK, not all of which existed like at the beginning of that decade. Um, There's mm-hmm. a big expansion of the number of celebrity gossip magazines. Um, and the, the, over the course of the decade, they really extend into being mostly about reality TV celebrities. And this really starts with um, Us Weekly kind of driving a lot of this. Us Weekly at the time, Disney purchases a 50% share in Us Weekly. And this Mm -hmm. begins with extensive coverage in Us Weekly of Bachelor and Bachelorette um, contestants and celebrities. So those are- So in the early 2000s, they are the main reality figures- that are getting coverage in these tablets, right? By the time it all we get goes to, back to the mouse. Yes. Um, they don't have that stake in Us Weekly anymore, but by the time we get to 2011, about 40% of the six major celebrity weeklies main cover stories are about reality stars and not like A-list celebrities from Hollywood and music and whatnot. This really changes a lot of like how celebrities are kind of packaged in a way that leads us right into the social media celebrity era. Um, we're talking about celebrities who are not famous for talent or skill that they have. They're celebrities mm-hmm. because they're performing their life. Um, they are. And I'm, I'm drawing a lot of this from a book, Extraordinarily Ordinary, Us Weekly and the Rise of Reality Television Celebrity by Aaron Myers um, that really gets into this intertwined relationship between reality television and celebrity gossip and how it sort of changes what people are looking for in celebrity It changes what people are looking for in celebrities that they're interested in um, by really focusing on the performance of your life that anyone can learn to be presentational about their life and put it out there. Anyone can be like these ordinary celebrities. Right. And this is what we start to value more so than exceptional talent or skill in the celebrities that we that we do this. Right. It's the the Us Weekly tagline stars. They're just like us. Right. Becomes the way that we're looking looking at this lens. And that has a lot to do with celebrity and specifically with The Bachelor. Um, So that's my lesson about tabloids, their place in culture. You know, Jake Pavelka thinks that they're out specifically to ruin his life. They kind of are because they've been trained to report on him. Yeah. I mean, yes. Jake (laughs) Pavelka is, is a top topic for celebrities because he is a quote unquote regular guy who has been thrust into the spotlight through The Bachelor. And we're supposed to look at him as, you know, an example of how anyone could be famous. Well, it's like the Trump thing of like him thinking like news about him is bad. Like, it's like, how do you report on Trump without seeming biased? Because everything he does is so crazy. It's like Jake Pavelka. How does it not seem like a tabloid's out to get him when they're just like writing about who he is? Exactly. And, you know, that's <laughs> why when we did Jake Pavelka, we, could, we were like, we can see so much of the the Trump era attitudes in mm. this man. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, arguably, right, this fixation with this version of celebrity, right, and saying that those people, like those people, those reality TV stars are the kind of more valued members of society than people who actually like have skills or bring expertise and knowledge to the table that, that like fixation on the ordinary man 
to the extent that you can call Donald Trump that, right? Like right. that very much is setting the cultural groundwork for a society that rejects leadership by experts and wants it from Donald Trump. God, Jake really is so Trumpian. Like the whole thing of being like, I'm here because, like, I want to do this and this. Everyone's like, come on, we know that you secretly have tons of debt. (laughs) That's so Trumpian. (laughs) Um, I had some questions uh, to follow up. So when you say that, like, Disney bought stake in Us Weekly, was it 2004? I'm just wondering who our first Bachelor leads were that kind of got this, like, magazine cover treatment. I mean, so, like, Trista was a really huge character for the tabloids, I think specifically, mm-hmm. and especially when she mm-hmm. and got married. Um, but I would say all of the bachelors and bachelorettes, mm-hmm. like they were really who Us Weekly in particular started their aggressive coverage of reality TV stars with. And then it expands out and people like the Kardashians and like Lauren Conrad and things like that become more important to what they're doing than The Bachelor. But I think because of Disney's ownership stake, they really started with that synergy. Um, and I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure the year that Disney sold their stake back was 2011. Mm-hmm. But the focus didn't really change because the magazines had sort of sh- by this point shifted over to really being mostly about reality celebrities. Now they always have a People magazine cover and also like. There's always like, okay, like after the show ends, you go talk to Jimmy Kimmel and then you go on Good Morning America. It's still Mm -hmm. kind of that like machine that's like, here is what's going on in the world. These people got engaged. Yeah. Other thing I thought about was like the Clinton scandal, like like, with Monica Lewinsky, like that was broken, like essentially on a tablet, right? Like like on the the Drudge Report. Oh, yeah. Well, so what is happening to journalism once the internet appears is so complex and so disastrous that the journalism industry itself has not made any progress in figuring it out like 30 years later. And so Mm -hmm. uh, like I I am really just, just pointing to like people like Perez and like Nick Denton at Gawker as being the ones who were most successfully doing this with the specific trade of of celebrity gossip. And so, like, when Jake says the tabloids, you can't, you're like a tabloid, only like 40% of what you say is real. When I hear tabloid and, like, the idea that tabloids are so fake, I think of, like, National Enquirer Mm -hmm. and, like, Elvis spotted at a grocery store, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But he more means, like, Us Weekly, doesn't he? Yeah, so, um... The the industrial history of the like two routes that tabloids can take goes back to the 1970s. And it actually is specifically people and the National Enquirer that are sort of the standard setters for like the two different things you can be as a tabloid. National Mm -hmm. Enquirer, right, obviously is much more like freaks and aliens and and just anything. Right. People is much more of a actual journalism enterprise to some extent, but also one that's very cozy with p- the public relations and and um, 
with the public relations of various media and celebrity organizations, right? And so it is very much a place where you're going to see, you know, largely positive coverage of most things with, you know, scandal thrown in for excitement, but it's it's massaged in that particular way. Then you have like what what Jake is probably mostly talking about is probably not people or the National Enquirer, but the Us Weekly to OK range of celebrity magazines, which have sort of like of those magazines, Us Weekly probably has the most credibility and OK and Life and Style as the ones that emerged in the 2000s, like they didn't exist before then, probably have the least credibility, right? But they all do varying amounts of reporting. And so when they report something that's gossip, it's generally not going to be like, we made this up. It's going to be like, we called somebody's friend and the friend said this, yeah. but the friend could be lying and it's not necessarily fact-checked, right? So I, I think there's there's a range of legitimacy in the, the celebrity magazine industry um, where you have people at the top and something like National Enquirer or whatever at the bottom. But, it, you know, it's not it's not as clear cut as like everything's made up or whatever. Yeah. Well, it's funny thinking about it, too, and comparing Jake to Trump as much as I hate to be a Trump podcast, you know, <laughs> like. The way I think like the tabloid is very like fake news to Jake. It's like mm -hmm. it's like the New York Times could report on Jake cheating on Vienna and he'd mm -hmm. be like, it's a tabloid. <laughs> like I, it doesn't matter what the publication is. It's about whether or not he likes it. Yes. And I think I would say that like the idea that we can, you know, point to reporting about ourselves that we don't like and call it fake news is is one that. There are elements of the tabloidization of regular news that play into setting the stage for that. There are elements of, you know, the fragmentation of different audience groups with different beliefs to different places in um, different places in the news ecosystem that play into that. The idea that you can just say things are not true. I think there's a lot of setup for that in celebrity culture and celebrity reporting. Specifically with Jake Pavelka. Well, I'm not saying specifically with Jake. Like, I feel like you. you I hear you. <laughs> Jake Pavelka started fake news. Yeah. <laughs> right. I, I, you got to look at these things as examples of a broader context and not mm -hmm. Jake Pavelka is the cause of Trump. Right. Yeah, but, I gotcha. I gotcha. I'm trying Jake, to wink. <laughs> Jake Pavelka <laughs> illustrates cultural currents that. You know, uh, uh, Trump also illustrates. I know, I know. Jake Fidelka <laughs> is the symptom, not the cause. <laughs> <laughs> well, Anne Marie, should we make like a tabloid and say bad things about Jake Fidelka? <laughs> Hell yes! <laughs> Let's do this. Episode three. So in the aftermath of the last elimination where Jackie and Gia were, Gia left, Jackie was voted out and Ames said goodbye and left. Everyone's pretty shocked. The main thing carrying over is the tension between Blake and Melissa. 
as a refresher. Blake and Melissa teamed up, then she won a competition and took him for a date. For some reason, Blake felt like he had to make out with Melissa. And then he ignored her and flirted with Holly ever since they got back. It really hurt Melissa's feelings. And every time she expresses this, Blake is like, wow, you're being really emotional. Like, our romantic hero of the season. Love him so much. Ugh. Blake is starting to realize that was perhaps not the wisest way to play this. Melissa says Blake played her for a fool. A phrase everyone is using a lot this season. People are constantly accusing each other of playing them for a fool. And they're not wrong. <laughs> These people are all fools. So, But um, it almost feels like, like they were taught this phrase because like they all kept saying like something offensive. And they're like, um, can you say like played for a fool instead? Yeah. It seems really ingrained I, in them. Either something offensive or something that was too much like a strategy game. Because, yeah. and like for me, the the most frustrating thing about these two episodes is how much of what is going on is a strategy game that they're pretending is about relationships. Mm-hmm. Very. I annoying. mean that that's the show. I know. <laughs> so the general feeling seems to be that people like Melissa but think she's a lot, but they also understand that Blake fucked around with her head. Blake knows that this puts him in danger of being sent home. It's not good for him. His only consolation is that Jake will be eliminated before he is because everyone hates him more. (laughs) Because everyone hates Jake more. I'm going to say by the end of these two episodes, I perhaps did not hate Jake more than Blake. It gets close. (laughs) like, Like Jake is awful, but Blake is trying really hard to take over his position as most hated guy from Bachelor. Yeah. Getting the rose today is extremely important to Jake. He tells us he is blessed with mental durability, physical strength, (laughs) and problem solving. So if today's competition falls into one of those categories, he is golden. This was such good editing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um... Chris brings the whole house into the yard to reveal what the competition is. It's a synchronized swimming contest. The men and women as respective teams will be performing for a panel of judges and a man and woman from each performance will get a rose. Vienna feels she has an upper hand because she was on her swim team in high school, while Jake feels he has an upper hand because he was on Dancing with the Stars. (laughs) After some practice with real swim coaches, the men and women do their official performances. The women wear cute bathing suits and bathing caps with big flowers on them. And the men, of course, have to tear away their shorts to reveal Speedos. Because men in Speedos is still funny. The routines will be judged by a panel that includes a lady named Karen, who is an Olympic gold medalist, and Dave and Natalie from last season. Welcome back, Dave and Natalie. Good I to see you. I was excited to see them. They didn't give a lot, yeah. but... I love no, Dave but and Natalie. It's good to see them. Yeah. And they make no gestures towards their fake relationship, which I appreciate. Nope. <laughs> but they're like perfectly cordial, you know? Because they're friends. And they always they let, were. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, the girls go first and are not very good, but Vienna really works her ass off. William says Michelle looks like a synchronized swimmer, which is an insane thing to say because like the whole thing about synchronized swimming is being synchronized. So, like, you can't look like one by yourself. Yeah, and 
nobody has ever been less synchronized than this group of women. No, they're They're really not very good. And then in a move that subverts all our stereotypes, the men are very good. See, the men have a little bit of an advantage, though, because Michael Stagliano, whose job title on Jillian's season, if I recall correctly, was break dancer, is like actually kind of a choreographer and dance teacher. So he gets them whipped into shape. Yeah. He understands how to count. Like he really like he forces them to be much better. And that's how they do way better. Yeah. Because like Vienna does have like experience, but it's not just about experience. It's about being able to rally everyone, which right. Michael does a good job at. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, the featured star of the number is Jake. They do a thing where they make a circle and Jake bursts out of the middle of the circle <laughs> and splashes about with a big smile. Vienna's not into it. I'm not into it. Once both the numbers are done, the judges make their decisions, which here means that Natalie and Dave give someone a shout out, but the actual swimmer decides who wins. For the men, Natalie says that being on Dancing with the Stars was really helpful to Jake. Um, Dave says Kirk did well. Karen says they were very close in skill throughout, but Michael is the one who pulled it together with teamwork and leadership. For the women, Dave says Vienna did really well technique-wise. Natalie liked that Holly was silly and goofy, but Karen thinks that when it came down to artistry, it was Michelle. This was so rigged. It, this Yeah, they didn't want to give it to Vienna so that she and Casey would no. fight. Uh, it made me so mad. Vienna was the clear winner. Vienna earned it. Yeah, she was like picking them up and flipping them around and stuff. Yeah, and, and she has all these confessionals where she's talking about how confident she is and this feels like her skill set. And clearly, they just wanted to set her up to like look arrogant, but she actually was better than everyone else. Yeah, what the hell? Yeah. Anna is like, I think, like as we've discussed, like production loves Michelle. They probably wanted to kick off the story with her and Graham. And like a lot of the contests we've done so far, it's like you can't rig it. You know, it's like whoever falls first or whoever hits the most people with eggs. Like there's no fake in that. But this you could just have a lady be like, and Michelle was the best. Since he didn't win the competition, Jake is scrambling. He needs to convince everyone to vote out Casey in Vienna. They filled the rest of the cast full of crap. It's so hard to compete with them when they'll do anything to win, even drag someone's name through the mud. He did not come this far to lose. Casey and Vienna made an alliance. Their alliance has most of the people and their alliance votes people out. Like, uh, uh, shut up, Jake. Yeah. Jake isn't the only person in these episodes who's like, I wasn't willing to play that way. And it's like, what? Like, with some friends? It's not that bad. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Coming in already in a relationship? Not their fault. We're just lucky that the core of the KCVN Alliance just stay strong. Because Jake is really trying to sow some dissent. And, like, I think, I don't think they want us to realize this. Because they still want Vienna to look bad. But Vienna has seems to have developed like nice friendships here with Michelle and Holly. And I'm really happy for her. Yes. And Michelle, I loved Michelle so much in these episodes, particularly yeah, she just ruled. the way. She ruled. The way she's a friend to Vienna, the way she goes to bat for M- Melissa. Like, Michelle yeah. money is showing the world that she's yeah. not mean after all. Yeah, now, she's really not. Jake came in trying to get redemption and just made himself look like a sociopath. Michelle Money, 
that's how you do a redemption tour. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it helps when you don't have an abusive relationship with someone in the house beforehand. Yeah. That's something Michelle really had going for her. <laughs> True. <laughs> was not being like so abusive in a way that was actually captured and aired on ABC in prime time. Right. She just like said that monkeys could rip Chanel's yeah. arms off. Like, yeah, whatever. which is which is really. <laughs> Jake wishes he said he wished monkeys rip someone's <laughs> arms off. <laughs> Jake's desperation to stay in the game leads to a breathtakingly weird alliance between Jake and Erica Rose. This? I didn't remember this. My jaw was on the floor. It's wild. And there is like, there is something very Trumpian about it, actually. And I hate that I I said that again. But like, there are these shots of them like standing by the fire and they just look very like evil rich couple, you know? They recognize each other as fellow players who are out of options and want to start being aggressive. And like, because the lines between strategy and romance are confusing in the game, they do some like light caressing, but it feels kind of phoned in, like out of a sense of obligation. Yeah, like Erica is pretty good at like hamming up the idea that she thinks Jake is sexy and wants to make out with him because Erica yeah. is better at playing a television character than Jake is. Jake seems like he's doing a bit of a Blake light from the last episode, but trying not to say it as overtly as Blake did, where he's like, if I lead Erica on romantically, we can work together in the game. Yeah, but like, and and Jake's doing everything with his like hands and feet and lips, but nothing with his face or words, really. Yes. And I also think that we should probably, you know, I feel like Erica was a little bit activated by the way everyone treated her in the egg challenge. Threw, threw eggs at her? Yeah, I get it. Because she goes so hard trying to be like, the sexy seductress getting in the way of the couples, like trying to make out with Jake, like in these episodes. And I feel like, I think, I think it's fun TV. I really like Erica Rose. I think she's, she's awful, but, but in a way that is calculated and funny to me, but I felt really bad watching her do this strategy on multiple men. Yeah. I mean, it's like a, It's a bad life lesson, too, of like she came in kind of like I don't want to say there to make friends, but she was laying low and like just kind of hanging with the group. And then everyone threw eggs at her for not being attractive and saying they want her to go home next. And now she's like being manipulative and mean and it's working better. Yeah, she because she really takes on this like Black Widow persona in both strategically and romantically from here on out. And it really, like, it's more dynamic. She has way more screen time. It's much more interesting. But, like, she was being way nicer before. Um. So, yeah, Erica, like, runs her foot up and down Jake's leg. <laughs> it's um, it's, it's bad. Jake feels he can be the hero everyone needs right now. Casey and Vienna are overexposed. They're starting to run out of gas. Now he wants to poke a hole in their gas tank, and then they'll drive off a cliff. Jake is not good at metaphors. <laughs> He's not, but also, like, remember how many times he keeps saying, I'm just here to make up with Vienna. That's the most important thing yeah. to me. And yeah. then all of his metaphors are, like, about murdering, <laughs> or about murdering Casey and Vienna. 
When he blessedly leaves, he says he came here to confront Vienna. Like, his story of what he came here to do is constantly changing. He wanted to make amends. He wanted to confront her. He wanted to, like, get out of debt. But I mean, like, and I think what it comes down to is, like, he came here to make Vienna look bad by being really nice. And now he's past the point of, like, He's not even pretending that being nice is part of it anymore. He also, like, remember how last time he was like, hey, everyone knows I'm a great guy. I guess he feels like mission accomplished there. Then we have a really weird, sad sequence where seemingly out of nowhere, Casey is furious at Vienna for being too nice and cordial to Jake. It's horrible. I'm going to describe it and then I want to talk about what we think this came from. So yeah, Casey's really mad. Vienna doesn't understand why he's mad about Jake right now. And she says she doesn't want to be here. She doesn't talk to Jake. She calls him out every chance she gets. She doesn't want to be in the house with him. But Casey keeps accusing her of being nice and cordial. And it's like, it's so unfair. The fight is so clearly initiated and sustained by Casey. But of course, like in all the like interviews with other people, they're like, wow, Casey and Vienna are so much drama. Like it's like, Equally from them. Vienna did nothing wrong. Nothing. And the, and at one point, I swear, Casey says in the fight, stop undermining me. Which is the worst thing you can say to Vienna in a fight. Yeah. How How is anyone okay with that? Well, it becomes very clear from the talking heads other people are doing about this fight that none of them believe Vienna about the dynamics of her relationship with Jake. And that's been implicitly clear up to this point, but it becomes very explicit. And like, yeah, Vienna's crying. She says she doesn't want Jake here. She's just trying to be cordial. Casey asks her if she wants to have another breakup on TV. He says in his ITM that his girlfriend can be so stupid. She likes being the center of attention. She likes to have the fame on her. She calls Jake a fame whore, but she's more of a fame whore than he is. And again, like this is all over like being nice to Jake in like an off-camera moment we didn't see. Casey's like, I love her though. Like, okay. Um, so th- they move into a laundry room, which may and I wonder, do they think maybe they're not on camera there? Um Vienna reiterates that she doesn't want Jake there. She hates him. Casey asks, then why are you acting like this? Are you trying to play the sympathy card because you looked like a bitch last time? And like, and so I guess Casey feels playing the sympathy card is like being nice. Casey says, I get that he was your fiance. I get that he physically and mentally abused you and whatever, but that was a year ago. Get over it. Do you know what I'm going through right now? Do you understand the emotions I have and the things I've gone through because I had to sit here and put up with this? To use a word that Casey coined last week, you're canceled, Casey. Yep. I mean, I uh, there's almost there, there nothing no you words. can say about that because yeah. it's like yeah. he's he's being like you were abused and I acknowledge it. And you should be over it. All the other people just don't believe Vienna was abused. He knows it was true and is like, who gives a fuck? Think about my feelings. And even in like, 
like some insane, awful world where there is a statute of limitations on how long you're allowed to be upset about being abused. And that time is one year. Like, like having to live with him on TV is a whole other thing. Right. It's like a brand new source of trauma. And I like so last week I said that I remembered this as being a story about Vienna and two abusers. And I didn't remember why. Yes, because Vienna now, and Casey now were you're right. Now <laughs> I remember why. Although, like, I like I have to say, by the end of this episode, I am like, that's an unforgivable thing that Casey said. But by the end of the episode, he's back to being supportive and I'm not as mad at him as I was. Mm-hmm. And I'm not putting him in the same league as Jake still. But he said that. It was insane. After Casey says how hard it has been for him, Deanna's like, I thought you were going to protect me. And he's like, how am I not protecting you? Like telling Casey he's not guarding and protecting is the worst thing you can say to him. He feels Vienna is messing things up by being cordial to Jake. He says she's being so crazy. Then he tells her to put on a pretend face and say it was a blow up and a minor understanding. I think in reference to this fight. To conclude this awful sequence, Casey finally says in an ITM how he'd win this game if he were by himself. Vienna put a huge target on his back. He says that Vienna tells him all these nasty things Jake does to her and he protects her. But then she looks at Jake, smiles and says, good job. He says, that's BS. Are you stupid? That makes me sick to my stomach. It just pisses me off. I hope that it's real. I hope the things she said are true, man. This is ridiculous. So it seems that the thing that Vienna did that made him so mad was, and I'm assuming this is after the swimming competition, Yeah. And I can totally see having this instinct, too. You're Vienna. You're stuck in the house with Jake. Maybe you haven't had a horrible conversation with him in a few days. He just did this big featured thing. She just, it seemed like she just went, like, good job out there. And Casey was like, how dare you? Okay, so I, of course, want to blame everything on Jake Fulalka. I think this is Jake manipulating. Now, Casey's still responsible for his actions. But I feel I feel like because the things that he says, you know, about sort of like, I hope the stuff she's told me about him is true, like doubting it's her true. stories for the first time. Right. That all sounds to me like Jake trying. Jake is somewhere that we haven't seen trying to get in Casey's head about Vienna being bad and a liar and like playing up his interactions with Vienna and being like, she cheated on me. She'll cheat on you. Like, I feel like the the things that he says in this fight, like, and again, not absolving him at all, but they sound like sort of twisted versions of the things Jake says about Vienna. So Mm -hmm. I just I just feel like Jake has been messing with Casey's head. Maybe Jake, but also like you may recall in the first episode Everything Casey said to Jake, he kind of prefaced with, like, I don't know what's true and not true. Like, women say things. Like, it does seem like Casey came into the show with an open mind to the fact that Vienna might not be telling the truth. Yeah. Probably because he knows her reputation, like, in terms of, like, how she's been depicted, how other people think of her, how we're supposed to think other people think of her. And this brings me to my question of what do you think happened here? Like, could this have been a production thing? 
Also, like, it seems like maybe he was drunk or something. There was some huge leap. He was suddenly so mad. I noticed that, like, when he, when this sequence began, he, like, came to the door and Michelle Money was with him. And he, and Michelle Money was kind of like, what's going on? And then, like, she disappeared. But it seemed like maybe she was with him and he suddenly got mad. Like... I wonder if production told him the thing that Vienna said to Jake and maybe like blew it up to make it sound worse than it was. Yeah. I mean, either way, I feel like I feel like there was some manipulation that went into the creation of this fight. Mm hmm. But absolutely. But Casey took it way too far. I mean, and like because we didn't see any ramp up. It's like Vienna was sitting out there minding her own business and then Casey came out and started yelling at her. Yeah. With Michelle Money nearby being like, what's going on? Yeah. It's very weird. And again, this is the sort of thing. It's like they really think that this is what we want to see. Like some guy like screaming at his girlfriend out of nowhere. No, I don't want to see it. I want to see people kissing out of nowhere. The opposite of yelling. (laughs) I want to see people having alliance meetings. What is kissing if not the greatest alliance meeting of all? Anyway, after that, we just like move on and never speak of it again. Yep. Um, Michelle gets her date card because she was the best synchronized swimmer. The date card says, Michelle, please choose three men to join you on your date. What the fuck kind of pun was that? (laughs) I think this is the first time in the history that we've been doing this. that It was not a pun. Yeah. Sometimes they're just really lazy. (sighs) I hated it. They go to a vineyard. It could be like, Michelle, have a great day. <laughs> oh my God. I, Please choose three men. Please choose three men for a grape date. I am going to say that I support their choice to not say that. <laughs> Michelle chooses Casey, Blake, and Graham, which she pronounces Graham. They go to a vineyard to have a picnic. Blake is so fucking proud of himself that he was asked on this date. He looks around the vineyard and is like, this is the perfect place for us to get out of the house. (laughs) And I was like, welcome to Bachelor Pad, baby. (laughs) We're not even pretending this is the perfect place to fall in love. We're just happy to be allowed to leave. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Blake is happy to get away from Melissa. It's so hard for him that Melissa developed feelings for him after one date. In a wonderful development, it turns out Michelle really only brought him on this date to dress him down for being so shitty. I and you can see was it was amazing. Michelle, a hero to women. Blake's like deflating too. You could tell he like really thought like he could charm Michelle into getting the rose and maybe like switch to her. Like on Ashley's season, Blake has very little awareness of like other people's dynamics and what's actually going on. Yeah, because he doesn't seem to realize that like Graham and Michelle, who have been partners since day one, are like actually partners. And he thinks he can, it's very weird. Yeah, Michelle tells Blake he's leaving Melissa on, he needs to make amends or it won't be good for him. Blake's like, okay. He tells us that he needs to keep Melissa happy and he's not looking forward to it. And this fucking guy, like, he doesn't seem to understand that there's any middle ground between, like, completely ignoring someone and making out with them and pretending that you're into them. Like, when Michelle says this to him, he's very like, great, now I have to pretend I want to have sex with her. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, no 
Blake, just be a human. Just be a human. Yeah. Um, then Michelle talks to Graham, and they reveal that they have crushes on each other, even though neither of them came into this planning to get involved with someone. He's kind of reluctant because he had a bad breakup recently, but they kiss, and she gives him the rose because he's one of the best guys she's ever known. And good for them. Michael's date card says, every rose has its thorn. Holly, again, doesn't want to go on a date with Michael, but Michael again invites her and makes it super clear he doesn't care about anyone else who comes. He's like, I'm going to take Vienna and Ella because they haven't been out of the house, and Holly because we just have the best time together. She's such a blast. Michael. Stand up, baby. (laughs) The four of them take a limo ride to Griffith Park, which is near my house. They hang around a bit, and they ride horses. And fun fact... My dog Dexter freaks out when he sees horses at Griffith Park. (laughs) (laughs) The editing leads us to believe that Vienna is being annoying and complaining about everything. But like, I don't know. She's probably not. She's just like, it's hot out, which is totally a fair complaint, especially if it's Griffith Park on horseback in the middle of like, when do they film this? July? Like June? Yeah. Awful. As always, the story of this date is how Michael loves being around Holly, and Holly also likes being around Michael, but also feels weird. After their horseback riding, Michael ignores Ella and Vienna, as Vienna explains Michael and Holly's whole deal to Ella. They both say how obvious it is that he's still in love with her, but she's not into it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I will say, like, to give Michael a little bit of credit, she tells us, the camera, her friends... Everyone except Michael, how not into it she Mm -hmm. is constantly. But when she's with Michael, she acts like she's into it. Yeah. Holly is not a woman who likes to let down men. I So I'm going to go a little farther. By the end of these two episodes, I think Holly is extremely manipulative and I dislike her very much. Interesting. I, I mean, she's a flirt and she knows she's a flirt and she knows how to use it. Yeah. That's that's not it. <laughs> Let's save it for later. But I've 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 thought a lot about Holly's future. Okay. Michael tells Holly how much being around her makes him realize how much he missed her. He just wants to sit with her and touch her. Every time he sees her, she looks so beautiful. He like cries. Holly tells us how their relationship has always had so many ups and downs, and deep down, she doesn't think they're supposed to be together because it's not supposed to be this hard. Michael, of course, gives the rose to Holly, and Ella and Vienna ride their horses away. Then Michael and Holly get a special surprise. (laughs) It's Brett Michaels' tour bus, (laughs) and Brett Michaels is in it. He comes out and congratulates them on being engaged, because they say they're fiancés, and they're like, oh, like, ex-fiancés, we broke up. And he's like, oh, well, like, congratulations on having been engaged, and, like, not congratulations on having broken up. (laughs) (laughs) This is so so awkward. I loved it. (laughs) Brett Michaels tells them how music has helped him deal with the best and most emotional moments of his life in his soul. Anyway, he has to warm up for his show. He'd love for them to join him in his bus so he can play Every Rose Has Its Thorn for them. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it sometimes emotionally brings something back. There's that fork in the road where you have to say the heart wants what it wants. Brett Michaels goes to tune up his guitar as Holly considers that she and Michael are actually kind of at that fork in the road right now. Who would have thought? What a big surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so then we have, it's like our private concert date, but instead of being like the only ones in the giant venue, they're just like sitting 
right next to Brett Michaels on his <laughs> not very big tour bus. Yeah. The thing that really took me out of it is like they're on like this little bench couch thing and you can see a printer behind them. <laughs> and it's such a reminder that like people are doing work in there. Yeah. People are like printing out Brett Michaels schedule for him. <laughs> yeah. It's also like this is very it's not that long after a Rock of Love bus. That was in like 2009. Uh-huh. And Brett Michaels mm-hmm. being a part of the like VH1 Flavor Flavors. Um, Mm -hmm. and man, like, (laughs) I'm just like, why? Michael is into the flavors. (laughs) Like, why does, why, why are we doing this? Because it's just making me think about this other show. I know why. I think it's because the same way they've been desperate to have Seal play Kiss Tripper Rose. Yeah. They, there's a song with the word Rose in it. And it hasn't really been appropriate because they want to have happy endings. And this love story is the perfect love story for that song. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. They love having people sing a song that applies to the show. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, they listen to him play. They kind of like squeeze each other's hands when the lyrics apply to them. After their little show, Michael and Holly... Think about if they still love each other and hug as the sun sets over a Griffith Park. Back at the house, we have a lot of shenanigans. While most people think the big thing going on in the house is the Casey, Vienna, and Jake issues, Blake feels that the big problem is Melissa. As always, (laughs) he is not following the story. He's worried about Melissa and how she's so emotional and has so many emotional outbursts. Blake really is always on a different show than everybody else. Yeah. And like he calls her emotional or crazy so many times. But this this time he calls her a shrew of a bitch, which is not a phrase, but it's it's still mean. But despite this, Blake has again decided that the right thing to do is pretend he's interested in Melissa. Mm hmm. But like even when he's pretending he can't just apologize in a normal way, he says he feels bad. He didn't see his actions as being so horrendous. And the fact that he is so surprised that she's mad proves that he didn't do anything that bad. Because if he did anything bad intentionally, he wouldn't be surprised, you see. This fucking guy. I hate him. I hate him. I can't believe this is our romantic lead of the season. So do you think he is? I think Michael is. Well, but, I mean, and then Michael, Blake's like, Michael is our protagonist, but... Blake is Gaston in a fucked up Beauty and the Beast where Gaston wins. Yeah. Well, do do you know about what they do to Michael at the finale? No. Okay. Then I'm not going to tell you because you have to experience it to believe it. Oh, man. (laughs) So fucked up. It sounds sounds mean. Knowing that they get married, I can't imagine it's It's, anything good. it's, It's so fucked up. And this is a big part of why I think Holly is manipulative. Anyway, what am I thinking of? But like, I do feel like we've had, I'm already forgetting everything. Like we've talked about so much. I know. But it's like, it's a very classic Bachelor move to like have one person framed as the romantic lead. Then it goes south and then they have to last minute be like, oh, now we love these people. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's just, I don't, I feel like the show probably would have preferred that Michael and Holly get back together. Absolutely. But... The way they take what happens instead and run with it is so fucked up. I mean, I 
I see why they tried to engineer this because, first of all, the the comedy of remarriage is the one of our classic mm-hmm. rom com traditions and one of my favorites. See Cary Grant in Philadelphia Story, The Awful Truth, almost every Cary Grant movie because he's always playing someone's ex husband that they can't resist, and like that's the story. Like, I mean, there are many stories you can't tell on The Bachelor, but theoretically, that's the one story you can't tell on The Bachelor. Like, I can see trying to use Bachelor Pad as a way to tell, like, the the classic, like, we were broken up, but being here in this romantic environment made us realize how much we love each other. Yeah. And it would have been a good story. And yeah, it would have been great. Blake wouldn't have won, which is the most important part to me, because I want to see Blake lose. <laughs> yeah. His his romance and his dental practice. Ideally, both of them. When yeah. I uncover that he was at January 6th, he will. But how great would it be if... Ba- you know what it could be? Like, um, <laughs> remember how on The Jinx, it was like the penultimate yes. episode, they found evidence, yes. and then in between those episodes, he was arrested? Yeah. Ideally, that happens with Blake. Ideally, yes. Like, you get him arrested by the time the finale drops. Yes. Anyway, I will prove that Blake did January 6th. And when I do, it's over for him. Quite like Blake thinking there's a different <laughs> show going on. For you, it's going to be a show about you trying to prove he was at January 6th. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, the thing that the Michael and Holly was missing was like, arranging a scenario in which they had to pretend to be a couple. That always helps. Well, I mean, they kind of do that in the fact that they are partnered up in the game, right? But, like, they needed to send them on some date that was, like, to a wedding, and for some reason they have to pretend they're a couple, and then they slow dance. Like, there was a lot they could have done They needed someone with a rom-com background producing this. Yeah. So, yeah, Melissa's not really buying Blake's incredibly genuine apology. She's like, everyone thought you were very clearly and intentionally flirting with Holly and ignoring me. Blake says, are you sure there's no part of me that may want the exact same things that you do and want that kind of in-house romance that's kind of fun and sweet? This fucking guy. And, like, you can tell he intentionally phrases things in a kind of vague way so, like, he can bust you on semantics later. Like, if Melissa's like, I thought you wanted a fun, sweet, in-house romance, he could be like, yes, but, like, I didn't specify who with. Melissa is willing to move past this and be partners with Blake again. To sidebar a little bit about the idea of partners, it's interesting, like, they had partners in the first competition and have not needed them at all since. But, like, they clearly, like, they wanted this from the get-go this season. This idea of, like, having an opposite gender partner. Yeah. And so, like, it definitely seems like they've been told that they should be maintaining partnerships because the season will eventually go back to the partner format after starting that way. But also, since you're not eliminated with your partner it ends up being like there are a lot of people who like don't have partners and need to find new partners. And I'm sure that's an element of gaming that we're not really seeing except in this. Yeah. It's a little messy. And I wonder if it was largely contrived to force Michael and Holly together. I think because if they didn't have partnerships, she might just partner with Blake eventually when it did happen. Yeah. 
Um, so meanwhile, Jake and Erica are doing their weird flirtation thing to team up and get rid of Casey and Vienna. Erica says she's tired of watching Casey and Vienna running the show. And that arouses Jake to the level that he like runs his hand over her arm. And I think they kiss, but I might have blacked out. They, they did kiss. I, <laughs> you know, I was just like, Erica Rose, you're my girl, but what are you doing? Yeah, you know, I was writing my recaps and looking at my notes. And then I was like, I think they kissed here, but I didn't write it down. And I couldn't remember. And like, clearly my my head and my hands rejected it. Yeah. But it also just speaks to the complete lack of authentic chemistry between them. Like it was it was completely transactional. Yeah. And I mean, like, I just think like it's Erica's playing a storyline here and Jake is also but worse. Despite their upsetting fight, we take a little break for Casey and Vienna to have a little celebration later in the evening to celebrate their six month anniversary. He says he has a gift for her to reassure her that there's no one else for him. And he pulls out a ring box. She is understandably horrified that it's an engagement ring. And he gets all butthurt about it and is like, you killed the moment. I was trying to be super sweet. Thankfully, it's just a promise ring. Then showing us the Casey we once knew is still in there. <laughs> he does one of his weird off the cuff songs. I wrote down the lyrics. I don't remember the tune, but I'll make one up. Okay. I know from this moment on, I could carry on my love for you tonight. I gave you a promise. I put it on your finger. And all I know now is that you are my forever. So when you're feeling blue, just know that I love you. Like, I'm not far off because he just kind of, like, the tune yeah. feels made up. I mean, that sounded right to me. I think a note about this is, so Vienna does kind of freak out, but something that she has said, like, in the year since then, is that she and Casey had specifically discussed before going on the show that she absolutely did not want another TV engagement after what happened with Jake, that it was of traumatic for her. Yeah. Right? And so this, I think, felt for a moment to her like he was really betraying her for a tv moment which is a very yeah, jake thing absolutely. to do i think it was very triggering for her Ugh. vienna does seem to love his song though that's nice she's like she laughs i think she's like in on the joke but like thinks it's cute yeah so now we're back to weird gameplay uh, melissa is in the hot tub with jake so erica chaotically decides to frame melissa to make it look like she's the one secretly scheming with jake Melissa finds out and gets upset. Everyone says how crazy she is. Melissa is constantly put in these like positions. It's sad. It's like she's right, but she's so unpleasant that at a certain point, no one really cares if she's right anymore. Blake takes this time when Melissa's so upset to let Melissa know he actually only wants to be platonic partners <laughs> because she's letting the emotional side of this become too important. Off of this, then, like, Melissa busts into Jake's ITM, tells him he's the only one who has her back. She cries into his arms. If you find yourself in this situation, <laughs> something has gone terribly wrong. I, this was shocking. It was so weird. And, like, you can tell that, like, Jake doesn't really understand how to comfort someone. He's like, they're there. <laughs> he doesn't say it, but that's his energy. And then, like, his ITM is like, Melissa is aching for comfort. She will follow anyone that gives her comfort. She's like, Jake's the only one I can trust. And he's like, excellent. I can use this. <laughs> I mean, when you're playing these games, sometimes that's how you got to be. 
That's Jake. It's Jake, but like of all the things Jake has ever done, this one didn't really bother me. He tells Melissa she has to pull it together and stay because everyone's been gunning for him since day one. Chris summons everyone to tell them that just like last week changed everything, this week will also change everything. (laughs) (laughs) This week, all the women are safe and only one man will be leaving Bachelor Pad. This isn't that surprising because like they got to even the numbers back and presumably it would have been two men this week, but Ames left already. Good for Ames. In case you forgot, everyone's gunning for Jake. <laughs> and and has been since day one. <laughs> so he and Erica try to stage a coup to get everyone to vote off Casey. Melissa's down because she's sick of Casey in Vienna and feels Vienna deep down has feelings for Jake and doesn't want anyone else to like him. That is so rude to say. I was so mad. Like, I had to take a break after Melissa said that. Yeah. Because I was just like. How dare you? It's one thing to call her dramatic. It's a bad thing. But, like, I can't get how the show could have gotten in your head to be like, I don't know if I believe Vienna's side of the story about the abuse. I don't support you in doing that. Believe women. But, like, you know, the environment is not conducive to believing this. But Vienna wants Jake back. I would rather be called as true of a bitch (laughs) than still into Jake Pavelka. Absolutely. There's nothing worse you can be in this world than into Jake Pavelka. Into Jake Pavelka, yeah. And Melissa is the one who is crying in his arms, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, So Casey is feeling good about Jake going home tonight. He says, nice guys usually finish last, but tonight the good guy's going to win. But you should never use the phrase nice guys finished last, but not this time, pertaining to Jake Jake Favelka, it's cursed. Yeah. So then, of course, he finds out that Jake and Erica are trying to rally everyone against him, and he is shocked. And, like, Casey's kind of, like, flippant about it, like, in terms of the Erica of it, but there's this interesting moment where Vienna goes up to Erica and says, you should be ashamed of yourself, Erica Rose. Casey said you're one of his closest friends, and he's protecting you this whole time. I just thought this was, like... Like, we we discussed last time, like, he and Erica dated, and it's never come up. Yeah. But I feel like, like, the fact that she's made it this far, even though everyone hit her with eggs, like, I bet it's because Casey has had her back in ways that we haven't seen. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And like I said last time, in the way that they cast this, right, there's so many, so much drama between these people that we don't even get into it. And the Casey and Erica linkage is one of the things that we don't get into you know Mm -hmm. yeah so somehow the casey versus jake choice all comes down to kirk who is so hapless (laughs) everyone's just like yelling at him what to do and he's like gee i don't know it's all really stressful then there's a weird moment where jake pulls casey he says as awkward as this has been for you guys it's down to us whatever happens whatever's meant to be is meant to be but i just want to let you know if it does turn up crazy tonight I just feel like I should tell you I don't know how it's going to fall. I just want to let you know that. And Casey's like, thanks, man. What was that? I don't know. Like, it felt like they were both felt sure that they were winning in it. But it also was nonsense. Like My only guess is that, like, Jake was like, I don't know if we got the votes, so don't think that I'm going in knowing that you already lost. I don't know. I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. 
I just I was, it was really perplexing. I was really preoccupied during this part with like how terrible it was that so many people wanted Vienna to be in the house alone without her boyfriend with her abuser. Yeah. Yeah. And that like people were being so gleeful about potentially splitting up Casey and Vienna that I, like yeah. I was just like I don't know. I had I was feeling weird and not really like my mind wasn't on this interaction, to be honest. This is like, this is all real sad. Finally, it's rose ceremony time. Chris Harrison tells them there's $250,000 on the line. But ironically, this game is all about relationships and the question, who can you really trust? Is that ironic, Chris? <laughs> Chris and his like English Chris? language skills have been like really not good. Yeah. Remember when he was like, how do you avoid the trappings of a relationship? Yeah. <laughs> Got him. Uh, so then there's a big suspenseful buildup to find out if they voted out Jake or Casey, during which we hear Erica say people are letting a trailer park trash and the tattoo guy run their lives. We hear Vienna say yet again how she's terrified of Jake. Jake tells us if he leaves tonight, he'll do his best to take some people out with him. Like, what does that even mean? Like a hostage? We don't get to find out, though. Because Chris reads out the final name. Casey, and there's an immediate cut to black episode over. It's very dramatic. But then the drama is totally undercut by another fucking tag with a fucking guy in the fucking mask. <laughs> Why are they doing this? <laughs> Ugh. And like he's swimming in the pool to this, uh, the music that they did their routines to is playing. They do these shots of people waking up in their beds at night and like we're supposed to believe that they're hearing the mask guy in the pool. Of course they can't. Also, the credits are, like, right over the guy's face. So, like, you can't even really tell he's wearing a mask. And I, it's certainly not the same guy from Ashley's season. I don't. Like, why were they trying so hard to make this a thing? At this point, it's been forever since that guy was on the show. Yeah. Episode four. Then we pick up immediately with Jake's elimination. I am assuming they like stretch this out over two episodes to make Jake stay last as long as they possibly could. Basically. Jake, of course, can't leave without making a speech. He talks about how they had the chance to do something really big and special tonight, but it just didn't happen. It's so funny to me that what he's talking about is like <laughs> sending Casey home slash like we could have gotten me closer to winning. <laughs> We could have done something special here. Yeah. <laughs> he ends the speech in a really creepy way. He says, Casey, amazing meeting you. And then he says, Vienna. And he bows and goes, my apologies in my heart forgiven. Ugh. Like Fuck this, this guy. This shit chills down my spine. He's just such Chill. a sociopath. The bow. The bow is horrifying. Yeah. Ugh. He finally leaves. Vienna beams and thanks everyone and hugs Holly. Casey yells after Jake to kick rocks. Both reactions are very valid. In his limo exit, Jake says as great as it would have been to win that money, his main goal for coming to Bachelor Pad was to confront Vienna, talk to her, get things straightened out, work out some forgiveness in his heart, and move on with his life. Was it Jake? Was that your goal? Didn't. Seem I, like it, but it does. I truly think his goal was to get out of debt for his limo company. <laughs> yeah, 
and terrorizing Vienna, just a bonus. He says the money would have been nice, but seeing some of the things you have to do to win, it's not enough money. Like, I, I get that attitude if he was talking about Blake and Blake's obligation to, like, sexually give himself to every partner. <laughs> I mean, but he's f- talking about, like, Casey strategizing. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, he was, like, trying to use Blake's strategy with Erica a little bit. So yeah. He's like, whoa, I thought we were going to do some good, honest gaming, like <laughs> like seducing women for sport. But now that I know we have to strategize, I'm out of here. Form alliances? No, no, no. Jake says last time he left in a limo, he was heartbroken. But this time, he's kind of glad to be out of that bleep crazy house. And he laughs and laughs. And it is, it's funny, I didn't even think of it that he's exiting in a limo. And he has all this limo debt. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's ironic. <laughs> anyway, Anne Marie, our long national nightmare is over. That is a wrap on Jake Pavelka. I mean, I'm going to say, like, I'm so relieved that Jake is gone from this podcast. But now we have to spend all of our time thinking about Blake and Michael and Holly. And at least when we were thinking about Jake and Casey and Vienna, Vienna was there. And I like her. Well, I mean, like the end of any war, too. You know, it's like it's good that it's over, but you can't really just celebrate it because like what at what cost, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, Jake absolutely failed in his mission to make people love him again on this season. Mm -hmm. And I think that's great for all of us. But it still would have been better if we just never saw him. Yeah. But I mean, I was like just even when I was reading like the press and stuff last week, the fact that everyone is now willing to call him a narcissistic sociopath. But good. Yeah, that's true. You know, small victories. Like it is nice that like before this, he theoretically won in Bachelor. You know, he got engaged at the end and they made it all the way to the after final after the final rose. Yep. And if you're someone who only watches The Bachelor, then that's how you remember Jake. And I hope people more remember him this way. Yeah. Just like over, like completely burdened with limousine debt. (laughs) In the aftermath, there is some anti-Casey and Vienna sentiment. Erica says they're smug and everyone's getting sick of them. Ella is sad to see Jake go home. Vienna is just walking on air. It's wonderful. I'm so happy for her. She seems so light. That like yeah. that that energy that manic energy she's had up until this point in the season is gone. Yeah, she uh, like I I cried some tears of joy seeing her. I'm so happy I, for her. I love Vienna, especially because so she has like not only is Jake gone, he's gone because her friends of hers rallied and got him out. Yeah, and it's like like she did everyone hated her on her season. So I'm just so happy for her that she like has friends yeah. and they pulled together and got rid of Jake. Yeah. Chris Harrison comes in and announces that today's competition was the most popular and talked about competition. The contestants from Bachelor Pad 1 said it was the most enjoyable by far. The second annual Bachelor Pad kissing contest. Like they could have added cricket sound effects. No one is excited. <laughs> I mean Last season, people freaked out and refused to do this contest. So I feel like yeah. they and then they like seemed pretty traumatized by it. 
But also it's like, I would believe it was the most enjoyable competition. They had to eat an entire pie. <laughs> that is true. I mean, and, I they, and the other things were like twister and water balloon tosses. I guess. These people just came off of synchronized swimming. That was so much more interesting and fun. But yeah, these people, I think, have a slightly higher bar than season one, plus many more weird relationship dynamics. No one wants to kiss Casey or Vienna, and they don't want to kiss anyone else. Casey says Vienna will be mad at him, which, like, come on, give her some credit. Like, she she'll, she understands what's happening. Michelle immediately drops out because she doesn't want her daughter to see. Ella would rather her son not see, but she's still in it. Then there's the whole Michael and Holly debacle, of course. Everyone feels weird about kissing Holly in front of Michael and, like, vice versa, I guess. Really, the only consolation is that they waited for Jake to leave to do this. I know. I'm so relieved. So first, they blindfold the girls and have them kiss the guys one by one. All the guys kiss Holly, in her words, like grandmas, out of respect for Michael. Except Blake, who doesn't respect anyone, so he just goes for it. And when he kisses Holly, he, like, puts one finger under her chin, and that really flipped me out. It looked weird. uh, Yeah. Blake's kissing made me uncomfortable. Like, last yeah. season when Dave won this competition, I was like... Yeah, we could tell what a good kisser oh, he was. Yeah. This time, Blake... Yeah. I'm like, I-, I wouldn't want that, but okay. <laughs> yeah. They should have brought Dave back for this contest. They should have. Everyone should get to kiss Dave. The judge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the winner gets to kiss me. Blake says he came into this thinking he's the best kisser in the house, and he's going to kiss each girl differently depending on their personality. But knowing Blake, his two personality (laughs) types for women are probably just like crazy and not crazy. (laughs) When it's the girl's turn to do the kissing, Ella reveals herself to be a very formidable kisser, even though she's a mother. (laughs) (laughs) And I love this for her. Yeah. She has been wanting to be sexy on this show for too long. Yeah, now they're all kissing Ethan's mother with their mouths. (laughs) Uh, She has apparently very full lips and a very specific technique. Erica also feels confident because she has full lips that she maintains with injections every six months. But people don't seem to respond to her the way they do with Ella. Erica says kissing Casey is gross, another thing that feels loaded knowing that they dated. Yeah. Of course, when Michael and Holly kiss, blindfolded Michael can just tell it's Holly. And it's magical. And everyone can tell it's magical and beautiful. And Michael does a dance of joy. Luckily, he's not there when she kisses Blake because it's also very sensual and goes on forever. And they don't want to stop. And Holly is kind of like Michael who. Once all the kissing is done, the votes are tallied. And apparently, it's not even close. Ella and Blake have won their respective kissing contests. They each get to have a romantic one-on-one with a person of their choice. Ella thinks her son would be very proud. I think so, too. Me, too. Ella's date card comes first. It says, Ella, your future is up in the air. Please choose one guy to join you on tonight's date. She chooses Kirk. I don't think either of them feel they have anything really special happening here. They're just partners in the game. Yeah, this had a this had a this date had a strong like Dave and Natalie date vibe to me. Yeah, we're like so they're not even as good friends as Dave and Natalie. Yeah, like Dave and Natalie felt like they were friends already and they were going to hang out, and these people felt like they were just meeting on this date. Yeah, they walk out for their date. There's a bright red Mustang convertible. And everyone's like, "Oh my god!" Like everyone loses their mind. 
Seeing the car, little boy William wishes he'd done the competition differently. <laughs> William, <coughs> were you holding back and like $250,000 wasn't enough, but a night in a Mustang is? <laughs> I This made no sense. Also, like, he didn't have to do good in the competition to get this date. This is the girl's date. Alec could have asked yeah. him. So, like, yeah, I, I don't. William is like basically a ghost in this game. This is like the most we see of him. He is like no one is even talking about him or thinking about him. No one seems to be enjoying his comedy. We haven't heard any of his classic impressions. None. Kirk and Ella take off in the Mustang. Kirk excitedly pumps his fist, displaying his Livestrong bracelet. Their hair blows in the winds. They zoom through tunnels and stuff. They end up at the house that the lead lives in, which last year is also where Dave and Natalie went, but they refer to it as the place where Molly and Jason fell in love. (laughs) And like, I'm really confused by how far away this house is, considering they just looked like they drove up like the entire coast of California, (laughs) but also apparently Rated R walked here on his crutches. (laughs) At the house, Kirk and Ella have what they describe as a romantic pizza setup. Ella asks Kirk what he'd do with the money if he won. He tells the story of living in the house with mold and how he almost died, and that really makes you look inside yourself and realize what's important. I think what he's saying is that he's going to give the money to his parents. <laughs> I, but he didn't he really didn't, specify. He didn't answer the question at all. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I, I had no idea what he was saying at the end of it. He just wants to remind us everything he's been through with his mold. <laughs> yeah. Which, which... Is easier to laugh at because then he asks Ella what she'll do with the money. And she's like, well, I want to buy a house for my son and start an organization to help battered women because my mom was murdered in front of me. Yeah. And after this, Kirk is like, I no longer care about me winning. I need Ella to win. He doesn't. I remember he was like, I need the money more than anyone. But like, I would like Ella to be standing up there with me. Yeah. He doesn't as much hand it right over to Ella as you think, as it feels like he should. Uh, so then they go outside and there's a hot air balloon. Is this the first hot air balloon we've seen in our time together? I think so. I think so. Kirk says it's the first time he's ever had a hot air balloon in his yard, which is like, yeah. Wasn't there a hot air balloon on Fantasy Suites? I, I feel like this is actually the second hot air balloon we've seen. Okay. I believe you. But, like, it's hard to separate what we've watched for this and, like, other seasons of our lives. I just feel like I have an image of people making out in a hot air balloon that wasn't this in my mind. But it could have been, wasn't, weren't Michelle Young and Matt James in a hot air balloon? I think Chris Souls was in a hot air balloon with, I want to say, like, Brit. But on this podcast, I mean. Okay, okay. I feel like it's the second one. We'll check the records. I know. I Like, we've just talked about so much Bachelor, I can't remember anymore. I know. I know. I thought my my memory would be better than this. Like, it, we're not that far along, and I can't remember. I knew mine would be bad. I remember things, but it's hard, it's hard to sort things out. I just know that my memory is bad, and so it's fine. So they go up in the hot air balloon. They kiss, but, like, there's really nothing there. Meanwhile, if you thought Blake sucked before, wait until you see him with a small amount of power. (laughs) Oh, my God. The rest of this episode is so fucking unbearable. Yeah, it is. It's so unbearable. 
It is like it really is. At this point, we're like maybe twelve minutes into the episode. It feels like now it's just like two. (laughs) (laughs) That that can't be right. But now it's like two hours of Blake, and like I'm, I'm gonna out myself here while watching this. I texted Carrie. I miss Jake Pavelka. (laughs) That's how bad it is. When you say I miss Jake Pavelka to me, it's so awful that my mind rejects it. So I actually don't remember seeing that from you. And I don't remember what you just said. (laughs) That's fair. But oh my God, Blake is so awful. And there's so much of him in this episode. (laughs) Well, I don't want to just tell everyone he's awful. I want to show them he's awful. So let's tell them what he does next. Uh, So everyone assumes... Everyone assumes Blake is going to take Melissa on his date, not necessarily because of a love connection, but because she's his partner and she's kept him from going home. Melissa also assumes this. She tells him how proud she is of him and how excited she is for their date. And he eats oatmeal and is like, actually, I haven't decided. She's mad, of course. He's like, don't get emotional. Blake's like, man, what should I do? I really like kissing Holly, but if I don't take Melissa, she's going to be all emotional. There's also Erica, who is making a move to partner with Blake, and she does this by massaging him and being like, you must be so stressed from being teamed with a crazy lunatic like Melissa. She says she's the smartest girl in the house, and Blake's the smartest guy. I hate how people think Blake's smart because he uses words like horrendous. Yeah, when Holly first met him and he said dysfunctional and she talked about how smart he was, I was like, yeah, all of these people, jail. Yeah, I, yeah. Blake's date card comes and it says, Blake, love is a slippery slope. Please choose one lady to join you on tomorrow's date. Blake tells the group he hasn't played the game as linear as most people. He tries to think outside the box and mix things up a bit. I hate him so much. Me too. And this is before we found out he did January 6th. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I like how he, like... Like, he, like, describes his, like, he's trying to make his level of gameplay look, oh, it's just, like, it's very, like, non-linear, and I don't think outside the, and I think outside the box. Like, oh, you mean because you're doing horribly and everyone's going to kick you out? Yeah, you're at the bottom, you're not in any alliances. That's not called being non-linear, that's called being a dick. He's, like, looking at these people who are, like, not trying to, like, seduce people into giving them roses, and he's like, that's pretty linear of you. Yeah. Um, because he's such a non-linear player, he would like to invite Holly to the date. Melissa is upset. Michael's also upset because, as he has told us many times, he is falling back in love with Holly. Melissa is unfairly mad at Holly, calling her a slutty-ass bitch. She's certain that Blake and Holly are going to get rid of her and Michael and team up with each other. When they finally go on their date, Blake and Holly take a limo to an airport. Holly hopes they're not skiing, but of course they are because that's what Slippery Slope meant. They go to Mammoth, a place nearest to L.A. that I've never been to because I don't ski. I've only been there. Did you ever go? Well, so go is rich. I'm not good at skiing, but I did once drive all the way there in the middle of the night and all the way back to pick up Janet because she was skiing and had a panic attack. I knew it would be Janet related. <laughs> I mean, Janet goes to Mammoth all the time. Um, we should have had her on as a Mammoth consultant for this one. Yeah. Um, Blake and Holly ski. I don't know if this is normal. Here's where we could use Janet's input. There's no one else around for miles. 
reminds me of like when I've gone on hikes and stuff and I think I'm on the hike, but it's actually like, oh, like this is actually a place in the woods we're not supposed to be. <laughs> yeah. Like it seems like they're somewhere wrong. <laughs> yeah. Like there's so much. Well, what I noticed was not the, not the lack of people, but there's so many plants. It doesn't seem like a clean ski run that's being maintained right. by like the ski chalet people. <laughs> And it's just like they're just kind of like dumped off of one of those like lift things onto the ground. And it's like it doesn't seem flat enough to be cross country and not downhill enough to be downhill skiing. They just kind of like yeah. scooch. I don't know. I mean, I'm very bad at skiing, so I can't tell anything about it. But it just see, to me seems like a lot of work for a dangerous hobby. You know, yeah. like I'm going to have to put on all that gear and maybe ski into a tree. Yeah. No, thanks. No, I tried to go skiing once and it went so poorly that I just ended up sitting on the concrete by myself for two days. <laughs> and this was before smartphones. That took a long time. Wow. Yeah. I had nothing to do. But worth it to not be skiing. Yeah. Um. So Holly, like us, is bad at skiing. She falls down a lot, but she laughs it off. She and Blake roll around in the snow and have a great time. At night, they have a romantic fire and they talk about their first impressions of each other. His first impression of Holly was legs, which we did note at the time. He said that legs. He didn't want to get too interested in females right away. So she came off as dangerous. Always a good sign when someone says females. And never trust a guy that says females. (laughs) So like we cut between Holly and Blake and this magical connection And Michael, back at the house, shirtless, moping, thinking about how much he misses Holly because she's been gone for like a few hours. Blake and Holly have the option to make this an overnight, and they do. Blake tells Holly he can't stop thinking about something she said at dinner. And and then it's like, oh, what's it going to be? What did she say at dinner that like he wants to bring up again? It's that she thought she was the best kisser and he would like to examine the evidence. Of course, she didn't say anything substantial that he remembered. He would never remember. <laughs> I hate Blake so much. He's he is the absolute worst. Um, so they kiss as Michael back at the mansion turns down Kirk's offer to do whiskey shots and instead looks sadly into the fire. <laughs> I laughed. I'm gonna be honest. Yeah, it was very call me by your name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Kirk sits down with him, like, we've all been there. <laughs> yeah. They're like trying to reassure him. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. mean anything. We all go we all go through this. It's just part of life <laughs> to have your ex-fiance go on a ski trip with some guy and she's been gone for three hours and you can't handle it. <laughs> Holly doesn't actually come back for a full 24 hours. And the pain of being away from her has made Michael realize that he loves her. In fact, he realized he loved her the second she walked out the door with Blake. What are the chances that that <laughs> Michael, was the moment he realized? I mean, I'm going to say, like, I'm more generally sympathetic to Michael in this love triangle because he seems no, like is- not the world's worst. But there's very much a, you know, wanting what you can't have element to this right. that is not cute. I don't think Holly should be with either of these men. But if she has to be with one, I'd prefer Michael. Yeah. When Holly gets back, Michael runs to her like she just got back from war. 
She was gone for 24 hours and Michael got a taste of what it's like without her and he never wants that again. Holly is confused because she really missed Michael, but she also had a great time with Blake. They nuzzle each other and inhale and he tells her he's fallen back in love with her. He left her before because he was afraid, but he's not afraid anymore. Holly tells him she kissed Blake once and he's like, seriously? That's like, Michael, is kind of the best case scenario for an overnight date. Yeah, for like, real. Just once. <laughs> also, definitely a lie. Right. But, like, <laughs> imagine how he would have reacted if she told the truth. Yeah. He's crushed. How could Holly do this to him? She reminds him that he's the one who broke up with her. And he's like, but what about what's happening here? Holly talks to Vienna about it, how this was her first date with someone besides Michael since they broke up, and how it was nice to feel there are other people out there. There's so much history there with Michael, though. But also, he hurt her. She loves Michael and always will, but he broke a part of her that perhaps can't be fixed. More on that later. Chris Harrison kicks off the night's voting. We're back to one man and one woman going home. Tonight's about getting rid of the power couples or the weak links, which means that some people are trying to get out Casey and Vienna, and other people are voting for William and Melissa. Casey goes around trying to convince people to keep him, and William kind of does nothing and hopes they prefer that to Casey's actual maneuvering. <laughs> classic little boy, William. It's also the most anyone has acknowledged him the entire game. Yeah. There's a lot of running around and making moves and trying to sway people, and during all of it, Michael and Holly lie there oblivious and talk about whether or not they miss each other. <laughs> He's made, like, a little date to compete. With Blake's, it's like, oh, like they went skiing, but here's a blanket on the ground. And they just like cuddle and talk about how much they miss each other, etc. Did you want to discuss this further? Well, I just feel like Holly is really manipulative. And Mm -hmm. I feel like she makes it so like I feel like she's pretending like she's confused and conflicted when she's not confused or conflicted at all. Interesting. And. It's driving me crazy because I just feel like I don't feel like she should be with either of these guys. But like Michael is obviously the less douchey one. <laughs> and I I just feel like she is. And I mean, to some extent, it's it's gameplay, right? Like Holly's a flirt. I have nothing against the flirtatious style of gameplay in these love a black widow. But mm-hmm. I just feel like. If the show were letting her articulate it as gameplay, I wouldn't be as irritated. But because this is Bachelor Pad, it has to be about her heart being torn. And it just her heart is not torn. And I just feel like she's like messing with Michael to mess with him. I have such a different read, but that's always so interesting. To me, Holly seems like someone who is like such a people pleaser. She can't even say, oh, I'm not into this anymore. Mm. And even just like how she like broke off their engagement, but then got back together with him. Like, I think she probably deep down has always not been that into him, but she's afraid of being alone. She's afraid of letting people down. And so, like, of course, like when she's there with Michael, she's like just falling back into this thing with him because like that, like she can't be like Michael. No, because she feels bad. And she's, like, saying she doesn't want to go on these dates with him, but then she goes. And, like, I think she just thinks it's polite when someone says, I think I'm falling back in love with you to say, and I, too. I think being on Bachelor Pad 2 is the worst thing that could have possibly ever happened to this woman. I mean, I 
I agree with that. I guess like maybe I'm judging her more harshly because she's into Blake and I just find Blake so repulsive. Right. Right. But I think a very important thing she says here is Blake is the first date she's been on since Michael and she fucking marries him. Like, I think she is just kind of like, like Blake, Blake is the luckiest man in the world for two reasons. One, he happened to be the first guy Hollywood on a date with since Michael. Two, he was on the season of Bachelor Pad with Jake Pavelka. Also, he would have been. He hasn't yet been caught. For January 6th, but I We're doing January 6th, yes. <laughs> like, I think he would have been the villain if Jake Pavelka weren't there. Mm-hmm. And this all would have played out differently. But, like, I think there is something to the fact that, like, she was in this relationship with Michael that was hard, and then she was in this relationship with Blake that was, like, less hard, and then she married him. Like, I wish she had gotten out of this house and met more people and like tried more things. Yeah. I mean, that's probably fair. I am so irritated with her on this show. I'm not inclined to read her as charitably, but what you're saying makes sense to me and is probably more right than what I'm saying. I just think she's manipulative. I mean, I think both are true. Like she's always saying how she's a big flirt and she flirts with the guys. And I'm sure she understands that she flirts with the guys to get things she wants. But like, I think she is very like, like a tragic number of women are, is very conditioned to feel that like her romantic love and attention is what she has to offer. Mm -hmm. And she like, feels like it's a, she feels bad about withholding it from Michael. And, and you know, and she's also like, Oh, Melissa's so much drama. Like she, she very much feels like she needs to be like cool and easy to be with, and no drama. And she's just very much like, like a bit of the cool girl. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, she just is like, yeah, you're right. I'm being a hater. I mean, be a hater. Like she makes a lot of bad decisions here, and like it would be kinder if she just let Michael go. Yeah. But like, I don't think she works that way. Yeah. Like nothing worse could have happened for her than marrying Blake. I so I let us feel sorry for her. That's true. (laughs) I mean, unless she also did January 6th. I don't know if she did January 6th because I haven't looked at her social media yet, but I'm certain that Blake did. (laughs) Yeah. Melissa realizes no one has talked to her, which means she's probably going home. She tries to convince everyone to keep her, and the more she does this, the more they want to send her home, because she really is becoming a lot. Going into the rose ceremony, Melissa is mad at everyone, especially Blake, because if he had taken her on that date and given her that rose, she'd be safe right now. William doesn't want to go home, but this game revolves around deceit and lies, and that's not his forte. I would be willing to guess no one has lied to William. (laughs) Probably not. He has been so inconsequential. And he's lucky he made it this far because he's not in any alliances. No. And I bet, like, people have said that to him. And then they're like, okay, William, and now you're going home. And he's like, okay. Yeah. Want to hear my impression of Linda Richmond? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so ultimately, William and Melissa do go home. Michelle is shockingly sad that William's going home. She says he is salt of the earth which I don't think is the right description of him, but I'm glad she likes him. 
So Melissa, thankfully, has a fairly dignified exit. We don't see her make a speech or anything. We just see her in the limo. She's crying. That's kind of it. Michelle tells us that Blake screwed Melissa over in every way, and Melissa deserves all the happiness in the world. But coming on Bachelor Pad, feelings are going to get hurt, and people are going to feel betrayed. They're realizing they're all on the chopping block, and no one can be trusted. And that is the game of Bachelor Pad. It was like, that was a very dramatic, they were like, Michelle, uh, sum up the show. <laughs> She's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can tell Michelle is production's pet. Very yeah, much so. Yeah, she really is. And she's doing a really good job this season. I am loving her. She's been, along with Vienna, she's been my favorite part of the season. She doesn't, like, she stays pretty under the radar. She's never been on the chopping block. She's never, like, caused a lot of drama. But she just, like, shows up and puts guys in their place when it's appropriate. Like, Mm -hmm. when she said to Jake, there's a very good chance you're not going to win $250,000. I know. I know. Uh. Michelle Money, an icon. Um, another really great thing that happens is that there's a tag and the masked guy is not in it. I cheered. Finally. Ugh. I was like, they're letting it go. Thank God. Instead, there's a tag where all the girls want Ella to kiss them so they can see what a good kisser she is. It's cute. Yeah, I mean, it was a little like, Ooh, girls kissing girls for me, but, you know, it wasn't the masked man, so I'll take it. But like, the, vi- the vibe was more like, come on, like, teach us. Yeah. Michelle was like, you have a responsibility to share I- your powers. I thought Michelle was very funny. Yeah, she was. Anne-Marie, what aged the worst? Um. Okay, so... One of my least favorite things in these episodes, like, obviously, I hate Blake so much, but I'm not going to talk about Blake. During the kissing contest, when everybody was weird about kissing Holly because of Michael and how Michael owns Holly, even though they're, Uh like, not even in a relationship, that pissed me off. Yeah, that was annoying. Yeah. Um, To me, the thing that aged truly the worst in this episode was how much we loved Casey last time. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Casey, <laughs> not great in this episode. That whole fight was horrible. He said some really atrocious things that I don't think we can forgive or forget, even if he edited. I'm never going to bow to him and say all is forgiven. Never. Um. Also, how often everyone called Melissa crazy. It wasn't even just Blake. Like, across the board... Everyone called Melissa crazy constantly. Yeah. It's interesting because I'm a big defender of the word crazy, to be honest. I know a lot of people don't like it anymore. Um, mm-hmm. But I feel that as an extremely mentally ill person, I choose to keep saying it. Uh, but the way that it was in this episode it was very weaponized. And I was like, oh, it's this usage of this word that is why people don't like it anymore. And also, like, how it seemed interchangeable with emotional for me particularly. Yes. Like, there was a silent girl there, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, like, oh, she's being a crazy girl is what it felt like they were saying. Yep. One of those crazy girls. It just, like, it felt really gross and mean. And and it truly, like, 
I, yeah, I don't mind when people say it from time to time, but it felt like every single person at one point called Melissa crazy. Yeah. I really didn't like the way that they were just like being t- being toward her in general. Like, I get that she's a lot. I was a little annoyed at her, too. But yeah. it it the way that it was sort of not Melissa's annoying, but like Melissa is fundamentally troubled as a person for reacting yeah. very normally to Blake being a total asshole. Yeah. It sucked. Yeah. But on the upside, what aged the best? Um, so I thought what aged the best. So like during the kissing contest, you mentioned Erica's talking about her lip injections. And everybody else is like kind of making fun of Erica for having lip injections. And I was like, Erica, like, I mean, I would never get lip injections, but like, would anyone in 2024 go on The Bachelor without lip injections? They wouldn't. You're right. Erica won the war. She did. (laughs) I had a shocking number of things that aged the best. Like three. Okay. So when Vienna is confronting Erica about like not being loyal to Casey... She says, we didn't come here to lose friendships. We really didn't. Mm-hmm. And I just love the use of, like, I, we didn't come here to not make friends, basically. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> it was nice. Yeah. Um, I There's this little moment between Michael and little boy William. I actually wasn't sure what to call it, but it felt worth pointing out. Like, during the kissing contest, William leans in like he's going to kiss Michael. And Michael laughs and Michael is like, would you kiss me? And then they agree that they'd kiss each other and it wouldn't be a big deal. And I like that it was no big deal. Yeah. But it, it was also. There's often a no homo energy to those right, kinds of things. And that just did energy. not have. Yeah. Like when that moment began, I felt like I lived a million lifetimes and braced myself for what it was going to be. And I was like, oh, that was kind of sweet. Like. Huh. Yeah. It's like a male fr- it was a male friendship where they felt comfortable kind of like being physical. Yeah. But that said, I do inherently distrust little boy William <laughs> and worry that like his intention was to have it be a comedy bit. Yes. I I think I think we can like say that was definitely his intention, but it's not how it came off. And but part then- of it is because Michael has this very nice like kind of yeah, you know that he, prob- he neutralized probably comes it. from being in the dance world. To be honest, he neutralized the bit. Yeah, neutralized the bit. Good job, Michael. Um, Michelle aged great, as we've said. Yes, Michelle is just the best friend anyone could yeah. ever want. Um, and Melissa, like trying to rally everyone against Blake, aged well. Yeah, at one point she says, how do you get rid of a dictator? You have to eliminate their resources. Mm-hmm. And, like, I thought knowing how to handle fascism aged well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, Blake loves fascism. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. Wow, that it, it did age well. Wow. <laughs> yep. Chris Harrison watch. I really feel like Ashley's season never happened for Chris Harrison. He is so the same old Chris Harrison. Yeah. His blogs are so fucking annoying. They are so pro-Jake and anti-Vienna. Ugh. Jake, 
Friz, didn't you learn anything? Don't ally yourself with Jake. I, it's such a mistake. Did you have anything to share from the blogs? Um, I mean, so one of like, he's really hateful about Vienna just in general, but most hateful about um, her not wanting it to be an engagement ring. Uh-huh. When Casey pulled out the ring box. And I felt like that was notable on a few levels. One is Chris always wants it to be an engagement ring. Right. That's his job on the show is to want engagements. <laughs> right. Um, but also just like, yeah, he basically was like, Casey should have broken up with her for that. Wow. Yeah. So he says, so he says this about Vienna um, when she doesn't win the swimming competition. I find it funny that Vienna always feels cheated and is the victim when she tries and doesn't get what she wants or things don't go her way. I sense a theme here. That sucks. Like, Vienna worked really hard and she should have won. But, like, do you think this is, like, him still being mad that she tried to stage a protest last time when... Yes. I mean, I think, I think like, he it was sort of more of a neutral party in Jake and Vienna situation after that. But after she like tried to rebel against him in the previous episode, he hates her so much. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Vienna's always throwing temper tantrums and it's like, Chris. Yeah. Well, that's, a, that's an important thing for Chris Harrison to watch. He was able to like, not obviously take Jake's side for a bit after the breakup special. But as soon as she rebelled, he was like, he was like, got to put women back in their place. Yeah. 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 I just, I wish the host of this show wasn't so disrespectful to women. Yeah. Um, Some other Chris Harrison observations. He was very like, like no homo about the swimming competition. Yes. Like, like the expectation that the women should be better at it. It was like terrible that they weren't. But he, as soon as the guys are done, he's like, guys, for God's sake, put some clothes on. Like, I don't want to see that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, so, cause you know, the bachelor franchise loves to put women in bikinis and it loves to put men in speedos to laugh, but like mm-hmm. not prolong that moment. You know, we right. shouldn't, we shouldn't look at them like that. They're not right. to be looked at. You laugh at men a little and stare at women a lot. Exactly. (laughs) Um, Fashion-wise, Chris has been wearing, I noticed, skinnier ties. And he wore a lavender shirt. Just wanted to mention. I guess because it's summer. He's like mildly more playful, but not like he was in season one. Not like last year, no. Yeah. Um, I noticed when he announced the results of the kissing competition, he immediately started by saying, obviously, Michelle, there is no chance for you to be the winner, as though he needed to explain. Why Michelle wasn't the winner? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I will say, like, his blogs do, like, they're constantly complimentary to Michelle, and it doesn't stand out as much because I feel constantly complimentary towards Michelle as well. But... Mm -hmm. Still suspicious. <laughs> yeah. My last Chris Harrison observation is that it seems like he's trying to make some little phrases happen. Like at one point he went, you never know when you're the next to go. Like, like he's trying to make a tagline yeah. or something. Yeah, like he's trying to do like expect the unexpected or yes, that kind of thing. Yeah. 
That's yes. what it is. Oh, he yeah, wants but, to be like but, a real host. Yeah, but Julie, I mean, to be fair, Chris Harrison, if there's there's only one person in all of reality television who's a worse host than Chris Harrison, and it's Julie Chen. But <laughs> she does have a better tagline. <laughs> But yeah, he did a little bit of his like sports announcer stuff with the swim competition. But yeah, yeah I, I I do feel like he should be stepping up a little more for this one. He really seems checked out on this. Yeah, but like you'd think that this show would make him happier because he can be a little more like like a Jeff Probst. Yeah. I wonder if Jeff Probst and Chris Harrison ever run into each other and like what they think of each other. Oh, another, like, Jeff Probst connection I just thought of, too, is, like, so on Survivor, I haven't watched Survivor in years, but, like, going into the um, elimination ceremonies, don't, doesn't, don't they all sit on, like, benches and, like, talk about dynamics first? Yes, the tribal council. Yes, and I feel like that, like, Chris Harrison has been trying to do that. A little bit on occasion on The Bachelor, and it's always weird when he does. And, like, here in Bachelor Pad, it's a lot of, like, so, uh, how are things feeling in the house? He's definitely trying to do that thing here, but it goes so badly. And everyone's just, like, bad. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, it's in Survivor, it's like they've been working together to accomplish things, and they're tired from working hard. Mm-hmm. And... On Bachelor Pad, it's just kind of that, like, cranky tired you get from sitting around in the sun all day. Yeah. A fun show. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Anne-Marie, let's bring her home next week. Let's see how this thing wraps up and what hell they put Michael through, which probably can't live up to the hell of Holly being married to Blake. Probably not. But I don't know. I don't know anything about Holly and Blake's marriage. I just know that Blake did January 6th. (laughs) (laughs) More on that next week. (laughs) Well, I look forward to getting her done. And moving on to something that makes me so much happier (laughs) than than, than Planet. If you like our podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to help more people find us. For fun content and hot takes, you can follow us on social media. We're at Bachelor in Retrospect on Instagram and TikTok and at Batch Retrospect at spelled like Bach on Twitter. Bachelor in Retrospect is edited and mixed by Aaron Seinchester and produced by all of us. And we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>